0: big.
1: don't have love I waste my breath with every song I bring an empty voice a hollow noise if I speak with a silver tongue convince a crowd but don't have love I leave a bitter taste with every word I say so let
0: when striving seas my comforter my all in
1: all
0: here in the love of christ i stand
2: in christ alone who took on of God in helpless babe this gift of love and righteousness scorned by the ones he came to save till on that cross as Jesus died the wrath of God was satisfied for every sin
0: As he stands in victory, since curse has lost its grip on me, for I am his and he is mine, but with the precious blood.
2: In did wanna-
3: take a moment of silence just to, uh, to examine our hearts, to uh, prepare ourselves to worship our God, help us to uh, eliminate all the junk in our lives and just concentrate on him and thank him for everything he's done. It's a, it's a tough world we live in right now, and uh, he needs all the lights in the world we can.
4: having a few announcements Sunday evening service two weeks from now will be starting on June 28th that's uh, the Sunday evening service and next Sunday we're just going to be doing uh, a full church Sunday school and church next week so everything will be back to normal also the offering plate is located in the entryway For you to drop your offering in and at the end of the message service today there will be no ushers to dismiss you you just can dismiss yourself all right so I'd like to read Hebrews chapter 12 verses 1 and 2 therefore since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking to jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of god would you pray with me please dearly father we do thank you for the freedom and the opportunity that we still have to gather together to worship you, to fellowship together and encourage and stir one another up. And I pray, Lord, that everything that's said and done would be for your honor and glory. Lord, I pray that we'd open our hearts, our ears, our minds to hear and receive the words you have for us. Lord, I thank you for Pastor and his diligent study of your word, and I pray that you just speak through his mouth to our hearts and that we would not just be hearers only, that we would take what we learn and apply it to our lives for the days and the weeks ahead, that we might be a shining light of you, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, in a dark world. Lord, I pray for the music. I just pray we would open our hearts to you as we sing hymns of praise unto you, and we give you all the honor and glory and worship that is due unto you. Lord, thank you for salvation, and thank you for the opportunity to be here together to worship you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.
3: You'd stand, please. We're going to start out by singing, Is He Worthy? Especially for our graduate. So let's think about that. <laughs> Next song, I, I will call upon the Lord. Men got the first and uh, ladies got the echo. for the first time in several weeks and months we just thank you for that thank you for keeping us safe lord we pray especially for the graduates uh, as they'll be graduating next week here in smith center we just thank you for everything you've done through them even though it was a really weird year for them to end with but lord we just we we still love them we just thank you for everything they've done through us we pray this fall as they will lean toward you as they turn to their next step in life college or whatever tech school lord give pastor the words to say and the message to follow in jesus name i pray amen you may be seated our next song is called god you're so good
5: think they're done. I'm not sure. Yeah, we're done. Okay. All right. Um, Just one reminder, don't forget the offering plates out in the foyer. If you want to use that on your way out, we're not passing it today. And then also, uh, just a reminder, if you want something prayed for in our morning worship service, then just please uh, put this on the the little cardboard (laughs) whatever you call that thing, a bulletin board out there in the hallway, and we'll pray for it. Uh, We won't be streaming everything anymore. We'll just be doing the the service, so your prayer requests won't go out over the Internet, and uh, I think that's the way it should be. Anyway, Barbara Widmeyer called. I think we put that out on the prayer chain. Uh, She asked us to pray for her on Tuesday. Uh, She's going to be having an ovarian cyst removed, and, of course, we'd like that to be benign and be okay, so... Remember to pray for her in that, if you would, please. So let's bow together then and uh, take these things to God in prayer. Elders will lead us. One of them is gone today, but uh, we'll continue to pray. Let's pray.
4: that they might be able to reach many people with the gospel of Jesus.
5: Heavenly Father, we do want to thank you uh, for in the past how Kinsley and Barbara were a big part of our ministry here. And uh, we were sad when they moved away and then uh, when Kinsley passed. We just want to pray for Barbara now, Father, as she has asked us as a church family to be praying for her about Tuesday and uh, removing this ovarian cyst.
6: during the summer here and then I would call up our seniors um, Maddie and Sergio and Shelton please I know I'm sure they're uh, maybe a little disappointed at how the end of this year went. It's not how anybody expected, but um, it's still they need to be celebrated, and this is a big step in their lives. And um, I wanted to share a verse, Second uh, Chronicles 16:9, "For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to Him." So our prayer for you is that um, when God looks over the earth that he finds um, hearts in you that are committed and that you would um, be people that would be strongly supported by the Lord and know that you are loved and supported by your uh, church family back home here. So congratulations.
5: Bet those two senior boys are gonna want a hug. I thought it was COVID nineteen till we got to Maddie and then there was a hug. So <laughs> Well Becca, thanks for anchoring down the Deaconesses Air Force wherever you went to. We appreciate that. I know she didn't want to do it alone, but had to anyway, so she's she's grown in that. Well, I want to have a special time for our graduates, but that doesn't, our graduates, I can't talk, for our graduates, but that doesn't mean it's not for the rest of you as well. Uh, So if you have your Bibles, I hope you do, let's turn to 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 17. We're going to be going through uh, this particular chapter this morning, and we're going to go through all of it. You have to excuse me if I'm a little nervous. Uh, The studio audience is not usually this big. So (laughs) what happened here? All right. Now, I want to say this about that, uh, and that is that this particular chapter is probably most popular in the Bible, uh, is one of the most popular, maybe I should say, And pretty much, most everybody knows this particular chapter. They know the story of David and Goliath. However, it is more known as being an underdog story than it is being about the power of God. And yes, we should emulate the faith of David, and yes, we should be willing to stand up when nobody else will stand up, and yes, we need to be courageous, but this is really about the power of the living God And what God can do through a young person who is willing to stand up for Jesus Christ. And uh, today we're going to get that right as we go through this passage. Now, I chose this for our graduates today, excuse me, because as far as I can tell, we need, especially on our secular college campuses, and I don't know where everybody's going to end up, but. On our secular college campuses today, we need young men and women who are willing to be courageous for their faith. And it's not just on the college campuses. Uh, The battle is coming to us in the church. I think in America, we've uh, pretty much uh, been on easy street, and now we see things happening in our society and see things getting rough out there. Don't think that that's not going to turn towards Christianity. It will. So we all need to be courageous. We need However, young men and women like the ones that were just up here a minute ago who will stand up to the challenges on our university campuses and fight for Christ. Young people who do not consider the size of the opposition. That's what we need. Young people that don't look at the size of the opposition and become afraid or dismayed in some way, but instead who are completely sold out on the greatness of God, no matter what the opposition looks like. Um, I'm gonna say something about God and opposition as we go along and I want you to hear it very well. Young people who take offense at the offensive things that the pagans or the unbelievers are teaching and saying uh, from their podiums, from their preaching points in their college classes to tear down Christianity to get people to move away from what they think is a mythological God who can do nothing and who also tear at and say things about Jesus Christ that we really don't need to put up with and also the things that Jesus stands for. And so I'm asking for you to be courageous wherever you go and stand up for Jesus Christ and stand for your faith because Jesus Christ cares about you and he's going to go with you and he is going to be looking at your heart to see where you're at and what, what it is that you are going to do as he looks at our hearts and wants to know what we're going to do. So let's go back, if we would please, to 1 Samuel chapter 17, to the valley of Elah and see what happened there. I'm going to read verses 1 through 7. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle, and they were gathered at Soko, which belongs to Judah, And they camped between Soko and Azekah in the Ephes Damim. Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and camped in the valley of Elah, and they drew up in battle array to encounter the Philistines. Now, we've heard about the Philistines many times. They are the arch enemies of the people of God because they're vying for the same territory as the people of God want to live in. And so they are at war always. Their God is a God named Dagon. And uh, the Israeli God is named Yahweh. And that's what we're going to call him as we go through here. Verse 2. Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up in battle array to encounter the Philistines. The Philistines stood on the mountain on one side, while Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with the valley between them. Then a champion came out from the armies of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath, Gath is one of the major Philistine cities, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head, and he had had himself clothed with scale armor, which weighed 5,000 shekels of bronze. He also had bronze greaves, or shin guards, on his legs, and a bronze javelin slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and the head of that spear weighed 600 shekels of iron. His shield carrier also walked before him." So the picture is this, and if you've ever been there, it doesn't sound like too many have been there, I've only been there because this church's generosity to send me, but there's a hill on one side, and then there's a valley, and then a little further out, there's another hill, and so here's Israel over here, and the Philistines over here. They came out to fight each other, but something is stopping them dead in their tracks as far as getting this war going. In verses one to seven, what I want us to learn is that warriors for Christ. Now we're gonna we're gonna think about Jesus and Christ when we're applying this. Warriors for Christ, even though uh, there there was only the pre-incarnate appearance of Christ back in those days, but. Warriors for Christ, and young people, whether you're graduating or not, that's what you are. That's what we as adults should be. Warriors for Christ often face challenges to their safety and to their beliefs. That is especially true on secular college campuses. Israel, under King Saul, finds itself in yet another fight with their arch enemies, the Philistines. They are squaring off in the Valley of Elah eight miles east of the Philistine city of Gath and 15 miles west of Bethlehem. It is close to Soco that was in Judah. The two armies are on opposite mountains with a valley between them. A giant of a man, a descendant of Anak, a member of the Anakim, is there in the Philistine army. A people who in the past have caused Israel to fear and refused to go in and take the promised land when God sent them in the first time, because their hearts had melted with fear. Sometimes we as Christians get in situations where the opposition presents itself, and instead of remembering who God is, we have this tendency to uh, shake in our boots and melt in fear. This is what God said about them in Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 28. The people had just got the report about the land and they were supposed to go in and God is recounting that history with a brand new crop of young people who are going to go in and take the land finally that God has been waiting for under the leadership of Joshua. I want you to understand that their parents failed. Their parents went to the edge of the land and they sent out spies and they believed the ten, not the two, and they believed that we can't do this. They believe that they're too big. We can't go in and take them. And God says, "Uh, you said, where can we go up? Our brethren, the ten spies, have made our hearts melt, saying, the people are bigger and taller than we. The cities are large and fortified to heaven, which, by the way, is hyperbole, overstating something to make a point. Uh, Their cities were not up to heaven. But if we're going to scare people, let's talk about how big the people are and how big their cities are. And besides, we saw the sons of the Anakim there. Goliath is a descendant of the Anakim. He is a giant of a man. Uh, The two armies are standing on opposite ends of the valley on the mountaintops. and They're looking at each other. And there is a giant among them, a descendant of Anak, of the Anakim. This is one of the guys that his ancestors would have turned away, the first crop of people that were supposed to go into Israel. Now they've been in 40 years in the wilderness. God has brought plagues on those people, and he slaughtered those people in the wilderness, and he raised up their children. Now it's your turn. Now I hope that we as adults haven't haven't failed as dismally as that first generation did. But I also certainly hope that you, our our graduates and those moving on, will not have your hearts melt with fear, and you, you will go on and you'll do greater things for God than we have ever done. This man is nine feet, nine inches tall. He had a bronze helmet on his head, and the scale armor that he wore weighed 125 pounds. He had bronze shin guards on his legs and a bronze javelin that was slung between his shoulders on a sling. The head of his spear, probably made of iron, the shaft of bronze, weighed 15 pounds all by itself. He had someone in front of him, I imagine a massive shield, somebody carrying his shield for him out in front of him. I mean, even at nine feet, nine inches tall, that's a lot of stuff to carry. He is a massive man. Many of Israel's soldiers didn't even weigh as much as his armor weighed. This is a crazy big dude, and he is formidable, scary, boisterous, and he is condescending and blaspheming the God of Israel. No man in Israel's army has been willing to face him, not even once, not even Saul. You remember when they picked Saul? They said, there's our king. Well, what stands out about Saul? Well, he's one head taller than anybody else in Israel. I mean, this is is a giant of a man. This is a man who will lead us. This is a man that's hiding behind his army, and he's afraid to go anywhere now. And there isn't a single soldier of his. It's not like the mighty men of David later on. Nobody, nobody wants to fight the giant. Let's go on in verses 8 through 11. He stood, this giant of a man, this formidable foe. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, and he said to them, why do you come out? Why do you come out and drop in battle array? Am I not noticed the Philistine, not a Philistine, but he's he's looking at himself as being pretty important. And you servants of Saul, choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then he will be we will become your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall become the servants and serve us. Again, the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we can fight together. And no one in Israel moved. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Exactly what happened to the children of Israel the first time they were supposed to go into the promised land. So Goliath offers to have a Philistine serve Israel, the Philistine serve Israel, if if uh, he could be defeated, and uh, that would be uh, by a man of Saul's army. First of all, he's lying, and that is seen by the fact that when they they lose, they run. They don't serve Israel, and Israel slaughters them on the way. By defying Israel, he was essentially defying Israel's God. He demanded a man to fight from Israel's army. Boy, is he in for a surprise, because a boy's going to show up, not a man. Looking at the Philistine and hearing his challenge, Saul and his army were terrified. We as human beings are always caught looking at the appearances and the situation and the circumstances and making our decision about God and serving him based on what we see, what we feel, what we think. And God never looks at the size of the opponent. God is never concerned about how powerful they are, what they've done in the past, what their resume is, and how powerful they think they are. The army of Israel and their leaders were completely dismantled psychologically and terrified to the core. Fear had replaced any faith that they had. Fear always destroys faith. No one stopped to size up God against the army. Just looking at Goliath, nobody stopped to say, you know what, let's think about our God. Is our God possibly bigger than nine feet, nine inches? Could our God carry more than 125 pounds of male armor? Is he bigger than Goliath? That's the issue. Instead, they look at the opposition, they look at themselves, and they say, I barely weigh 120 pounds. Somebody else better go. Not one man was willing to face him. Not even Saul, the man who was a head taller than everybody else. And the Israelites are failing. Now verse 8 through 11. Goliath offers that in verse 10. By defying Israel, he was essentially defying their God. They looked at him and they could not go forward. Friends, high school graduates, you will face huge threats to your faith. But you must move forward because God is greater. And God is on your side. This is the God who is in you. Verses twelve to nineteen. Now David was the son of the Ephrathite of Bethlehem in Judea, in Judah. Excuse me. Whose name was Jesse, and he had eight sons. And Jesse was old in the days of Saul, advanced in years among men. The three older sons of Jesse had gone after Saul to the battle, and the names of the three sons who went to the battle were Eliab, the firstborn, and the second to him Abinadab, and the third Shammah. David was the youngest. Now the three oldest followed Saul. He means in battle. But David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's flocks at Bethlehem. He is the sheep herder in the family. The, Philistines came, the Philistine came forward morning and evening, get this, for 40 days and took his stand. He has challenged these guys 40 days in a row and nobody will step forward. Then Jesse said to David, his son, take now for your brothers an ephah of this roasted grain and ten loaves and run to the camp of your brothers. Bring also these ten cuts of cheese to the commander of their thousands and look into the welfare of your brothers and bring back news of them. For Saul and they and all the men of Israel are in the valley of Allah fighting with the Philistines. Well, the young man David is introduced into the problem between Israel and the giant in these verses. Since a person under the age of 20, according to Numbers 1, verse 3, uh, was not allowed to serve in the military of Israel, only his three brothers were actually fighting in the army. Families would often be in charge of supplying their, their brother or their son on the front lines with their food for their sustenance. And so Jesse's sending David back and forth with food every now and then, something for the commander of the thousands, and and then bring back word and tell me how uh, my sons are doing. So David would go to the battlefront, and then he would return to care for his father's sheep. I think that young man probably noticed, the last time I was here, we were here. And now we're here again. What's going on? It doesn't say that, but he had to notice. David was on one of those trips for his brother's. Note that this challenge is going on for 40 days. Not one in Israel is standing by faith. Should have been their king, not even he did it. Verse 20, so David arose early in the morning and he left the flock with the keeper and he took the supplies and he went as Jesse had commanded him and he came to the circle of the camp while the army was going out to battle, or in battle array, shouting the war cry. So not only have we done this for 40 days, but we get ready to go out for war every single day, and we're screaming the battle cry like we're going to go into war, but we don't move. We don't go anywhere. Israel and the Philistines drew up in battle array, army against army. You might even think something's going to happen here. Then David left his baggage in the care of the baggage keeper. That's somebody that works for the military and ran to the battle line and entered in order to greet his brothers. As he was talking with them, behold, the champion of the Philistines from Gath, named Goliath, was coming up from the army of the Philistines, and he spoke these same words, and David heard them. The army of Saul makes noise like they are going to do something. They do nothing. David hears the offensive claim that the giant is making against Yahweh, and I want you to notice that he is offended. He's offended. Do you even get offended anymore when people use Jesus or God's name in vain? Does it bother you? This guy is talking, he's bad-mouthing God on the front lines. He's a trash talker. So far, nothing like this has prompted anyone in the army to do something, and I feel that in American Christianity, It takes a lot to get us offended, and it shouldn't. In verses 24 and 25, Saul has offered an incentive package to the man who will fight him. When all the men of Israel saw the man, they fled from him and were greatly afraid. The men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who is coming up? Surely he is coming up to defy Israel. And it will be that the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches, will give him his daughter, and make his father's house free in Israel. And what he's talking about is uh, when when Goliath came out, the army pretty much turned around and ran away from him. David learned of the incentive package that the king put out, uh, Saul has promised, the man who successfully defeats the giant. It includes being covered over with riches from the king's treasury, marrying one of his daughters, the princesses, and from now on having no taxes or government service for his family. That's quite an incentive package. But nobody takes it. In verses 26 to 30, we see where David takes offense at the taunt against Yahweh. Verse 26. Then David spoke to the men who were standing by him, saying, What will be done for the man who kills the Philistine and takes away the reproach of Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should taunt the armies of the living God? Notice he didn't say Saul, the armies of the living God. The people answered him in accord with this word, saying, Thus it will be done for the man who kills him. Now his older brother, Eliab, heard what he, when he had spoke to the men. And Eliab's anger burned against David, and he said, why, why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your insolence and the wickedness of your heart for you have come down in order to see the battle. You're just interested in seeing people get killed. I know what your heart is. You are full of insolence, and there's nothing good in you. But David said, what have I done now? It was just a question. Then he turned away from him to another, and he said the same thing about the incentive package. And the people answered the same thing as before. First of all, David wants to know what will be done for the man who takes out the Philistine. Now, some people think this is a black mark on David for his motivation, but I, I don't think it tells us that. It doesn't, it doesn't seem to say that he's in the wrong. It seems normal for a person to ask that. David has, has it confirmed by many witnesses. Maybe David is thinking, with all this on the line, why doesn't somebody take the king up on his offer? Note the three things offered have not moved any single soldier for at least 40 days to take one step closer to the giant. David also makes it clear that he can't stand that God's armies, not Saul's, are being taunted by the uncircumcised Philistine. Do we even get offended when God's name is used in that kind of a way today? Eliab had the problem that we are told about with David being involved, and he considers his motivation to be morbid. He claims to know David's heart. He doesn't know anything about David's heart. He has it all wrong, and he attributes to it insolence and wickedness. Friends, Satan often uses the mouths of the unspiritual to stop a person of God from doing his or her ministry. Satan will use the mouth of somebody close to you or a friend and they'll tell you something to try to dissuade you by whatever means from your path of ministry to God. The enemy Satan wants to stop David in this battle because Eliab doesn't know what's in David's heart, but Satan has a good idea and he doesn't like it. David can't see why he's so upset. He said, I'm just asking a question. Well, what is also happening is Yahweh is being drugged through the dirt. Yahweh had a completely different assessment also of David's heart, verses 31 to 40. When the words which David spoke were heard, they were told to Saul, and he sent for him. David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail on account of him. Your servant will go and fight the Philistine. <laughs> you have any idea how young this guy is? He's not even 20. He will go and fight this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Well, you're not able to go and fight the Philistine. You are but a youth. But he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant was tending the, my father's sheep when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb from the flock. I went out after him and attacked him and rescued it from his mouth. How many of us in here have ever taken a lamb out of a, out of a lion or a bear's mouth? said, no, you can't have it, not today, not me. He says, I seized him by the beard, and I struck him and killed him. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, since he has taunted the armies of the living God. And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said to David, go, and may Yahweh be with you. Then Saul clothed David with his garments and put his helmet on his head, made of bronze, and he clothed him with armor. David girded his sword over his armor, and he tried to walk, for he had not tested them. So David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. And so David took them off. Can you imagine David? He's in all this armor now. He can't even move. He's not used to that. He can't go anywhere. Just get rid of this junk. I don't need it. So he gets rid of it. Verse 40. So he took his stick in his hand and he chose for himself five smooth stones. When we were on the tour, they would only allow you one smooth stone because you couldn't call them in that fast. And he put them in his shepherd's bag, which he had. Even his pouch and his sling was in his hand. And he approached the Philistine. So the sling, uh, two long pieces of leather with a pouch in it, and you would would put the rock in that pouch and... and, uh, Turn it just right, let it go at just the right time. And, and uh, David was uh, pretty good at taking care of that situation with his sling. So David counsels that no man's heart should fail. Uh, he will defeat the champion. Why didn't somebody else say that? Where were the grown men? Saul doubts his ability, then he tells David, then he hears David telling him about, "Hey, I've killed lions and I've killed bears." I grab a lion by the beard, take my knife, and he's gone. Now, that's something. In his estimation, Goliath will fall like a lion or a bear. David says it will happen because you don't talk about my God that way. He's the living God, and you don't get away with it if you do. Taunt means to reproach, to say sharply, sharp things against, to despise or scorn. David is obviously no stranger to putting his life in the hands of God and taken on a bear. Now, now, I have shot a pheasant or two from a distance, but I have never confronted a lion or a bear. That's, I don't even think I'd confront a lion or a bear if I did have a shotgun with me. I would probably run and hide. Not David. This is David's statement of faith in verse 37. Saul offers David his armor, but David refuses, and he just chooses the weapons he's used to. Why would I have armor and a sword when I've got a stick and a slingshot? I want you to understand something, that God wins the battle, but we must fight in the battle. God will go before you, but he wants you to have the faith to at least pick up your stick and your rocks. 41 to 48, David, devoid of fear, advances swiftly by faith. Verse 41. Then the Philistine came on and approached David with shield bearer in front of him. When the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth and ruddy with a handsome appearance. Goliath is looking at this little kid and said, you send a pretty boy out on the battlefield to take care of me? The Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. That would have been Dagon, one of them. The Philistines said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the sky and the beasts of the field. Now notice, David says back to the Philistines something. We'll get that in a minute. This guy has been talking to the army of Israel 40 days now, and they're still cowering back here. And he said, You come to me. Well, they haven't come to him ever. And he says to this boy, You come to me. Then David said to the Philistine. You come to me with a sword and a spear. And maybe David is chuckling under his breath. <laughs> you got a sword and a spear. Have you ever met my God? But I come to you, he doesn't say with sticks and rocks, but in the name of Yahweh of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have taunted. This day Yahweh will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and remove your head from you. And I will give the dead bodies of the army of the Philistines this day to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel and that all this assembly may know that Yahweh does not deliver by sword or spear for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hands. Then it happened when the Philistine rose and came and drew near to meet David, notice, David ran quickly toward the battle line. No man in Israel moved. David ran quickly. You want to fight? Let's fight. Here we go. And he steps out. The champion feels disrespected to see that they sent a boy out to do probably three or four Israelite men's job. He pronounces a demonic curse on the young man from his demonic gods and remember that every fight is a spiritual battle. I wish we could remember that. We're sending our kids into secular areas, and they're about to fight a big spiritual battle. David tells Goliath that he's relying on Yahweh God, not the sticks, not the sling, although they are formidable in his hands, uh, whom Goliath has reproached, that God. David says that after he kills him, uh, that he will know the true God is in Israel. And he's going to know that because then he'll be standing before the God of Israel in heaven for his judgment. And the outcome of every battle is under God's control. Goliath brought his puny weapons to fight Yahweh. Talk about something more ridiculous than what David brought. was Goliath's weapons. The two come together. David ran quickly to the battle line by faith. The army ran the other way, 49 to 54. And David put his hand into his bag and took from it a stone and he slung it and he struck the Philistine in the forehead and the stone sank into his forehead so that he fell on his face to the ground, dead away. Thus David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and he struck the Philistine and killed him. Uh, But there was no sword in David's hand. So then David ran and stood over the Philistine, took his sword from him and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their special force champion was dead, uh, they fled. The men of Israel and Judah arose and shouted and pursued the Philistines as far as the valley of the gates of Ekron. And the slain Philistines lay along the way to Shaarim, even to Gath and Ekron. The sons of Israel returned from chasing the Philistines, then they plundered their camps. Then David took the Philistine's head and brought it to Jerusalem, and he put his weapon in his tent. Now when Saul saw David going out against the Philistine, he said to Abner, the commander of the army, Abner, whose son is this young man? And Abner said, By your life, O king, I do not know. The king said, You inquire whose son this youth is. So when David returned from killing the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the Philistine's head still in his hands. Saul said to him, whose son are you, young man? And David said and answered, I am the son of your servant Jesse, the Bethlehemite. So David, in verse 49 to 54, launches a stone into the forehead of the enemy, removed his head with his own sword, and called on Israel to pursue the Philistines. And finally they went. Goliath meets God just as uh, he enters into his judgment. Now I want to tell you that a sling in those days especially in the hands of a young man like David, is a formidable enemy. The average sling could throw a rock anywhere between 100 to 150 miles an hour. In Judges chapter 20, verse 16, it says that in one of the tribes of Benjamin, there were 700 men who were not right but left-handed who could launch a stone and kill a rabbit, all right? I tried a sling once, and I launched a stone. I managed to slap myself in the head with my sling. you got to know what you're doing. And so he did that. And then he uses Goliath's sword to remove his head. Note the correspondence with 1 Samuel chapter 5, verse 4. When the Philistines stole the ark, the second night that it was in Dagon's presence, they opened the door, Dagon is laying face down on the dirt, and cut off is his head and his hands. Young people, I want you to know, older people, I want you to know, and I want to know, it has nothing to do with the sling. It has everything to do with the power of God, wielded by the faith of a young man. So David begins a place of prominence in Israel. So I want to end with a few things that I want you to know, especially uh, the three graduates. God, or if you will, Jesus, is still committed to his people, and he's committed to you. Maddie, Shelton, Sergio, he's committed to you. Regard yourself as a representative of Jesus. The Bible says in Psalm 147, 10 to 11, God is not impressed with the strength of a man's arms, or his weaponry, or how big the horse is that he rides. God is impressed by faith. Next, we must factor God into every situation. You are not alone. Do you believe that God is still moving and involved in history? And I mean with you personally. What story are you going to write about your life? Let's say when you're my age, what will it say? Dr. Robert Chisholm said this, Walking by faith and not by sight assures the believer of God's intervention of power to deliver. If you want to live by sight, you will be fearful and paralyzed. I don't want you to be that. This passage illustrates 1 Samuel sixteen seven, where God is interested when he went to pick the next leader for Israel. He didn't look at Eliab. He didn't look at Abinadab or any of the other boys. Although they were good-looking guys with big muscles and they were powerful, God said, Samuel, mm, you men, you're always looking at the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. And he found David. Joshua eight one. Joshua is told not to fear or dismay because God is sending men to battle. Fear is a response of those who lack faith, don't lack faith. Leviticus 24:16 says that if anyone in Israel blasphemes the name of God, you are to stone him to death. I don't think it's an accident that David stoned Goliath after his taunting and blasphemy. He actually did use a stone, didn't he? A professor by the name of Kyle McCarter said this, it is Yahweh who gives victory And he may give it to the weak in order that his power might be made known to all. You don't have to be strong of stature. You have to be strong of faith. And I want you to know, as we are supposed to be, you are a warrior in the world for Jesus Christ. And young person, the battle belongs to the Lord. With belief, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for this day. I want to thank you for our graduates. I want to thank you for their attendance at youth group and Sunday school and church services. I pray that you would take the things that they have committed to their hearts and that they would not let anyone, no matter how smart a professor might be, take it away from them. I pray that they would stand and be courageous and that they would experience your deliverance and your victory. I pray that you would protect them I pray that you would not let the enemy dissuade them from doing what is right and good. And I pray that we would see your blessing on their lives as they are blessings to you. And may we all remember the battle belongs to the Lord. Amen.
3: Stand, please. We're going to close out by singing There Is a Redeemer. It's in, in the hymnal 206. Do one and three.